call the dogs in because you're listening to the Fieldmaster Podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to episode number nine of the Fieldmaster Podcast, brought to you by Sportsman's Pride Professional Dog Food. With me this week, we got a special guest. We have two special guests this week. We've got one of our members of our team, Justin. How you doing? Never been on the podcast before. Not one. And I kind of forced him this week. Eh, I not said, too bad. I said, you know the guest. I do. So you've got to be on. Right. And what'd you say to me? Okay. That was about it. <laughs> but that was about it. That we're really excited to have Justin this week. And we're also excited to have Maddie Haley, veterinarian and owner of Haley Veterinary Practice in Lebanon, Tennessee. Hey Maddie, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. So uh like we kind of preluded to, uh Justin knows Maddie, grew up together. Yep. And you guys grew up uh your childhood friends, right? We are. He, his older brother and me are the same age, and then my brother and Maddie are the same age. So that's awesome. That's really cool. So I mean, one of the the kind of to start it off, Maddie. The the question that I wanted to ask is, you know, growing up, did you know that you always wanted to be a veterinarian? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much, I'd say as far back. I don't know how much of that Justin remembers, but I'd say as early as five years old. That that's been my plan. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just stuck with it. Of course, there was along the way doubts, but uh, you know, from from that early of an age, that was my ultimate end goal. So. Yeah. So when when I was in elementary school, I remember you know they ask you in like your little fifth grade yearbook or whatever, they're like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And uh, one of my buddies put um, elevator repairman. I knew a dude that said garbage man. Garbage man? Yeah. Did he end up being a garbage man? I have no clue. <laughs> because I put professional BMXer, and I don't do that today. So. Did you even ride the bike professionally? Uh, I I started to. Like a so, mongoose? No. Oh, mongoose. That no, was it was wasn't a mongoose. No, it was a, it was a haro, I think is what it was. So, I, so this is completely off topic, but I actually was on the way to be uh, on the junior Olympic team, and I tore my meniscus. So I didn't get the opportunity in that kind of – I started swimming after that. It was a, <laughs> a, a lot better for me. There you go. Um, but I, what I, I say that because I wanted to know, was there like a specific moment – I mean, you said you knew it like five years mm-hmm. old. So was there a specific moment, if you can remember, where you were like, this is why I want to be a veterinarian? I don't know if I know a specific moment. I really don't. I know that, like I said before, from that early of an age, but I think it was more just like a drive, a passion, animals. You know, they were just, right. that, of course, we grew up playing sports, which is how Justin and I and the family and all knew each other, but I was always somewhat distracted by, you know, animals in general, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, starting out, it was your typical domestic pets, dogs and cats, and, uh, and then it just kind of developed from there. Right. But never really scared to go, like, Everybody else that we knew about snakes and stuff, this dude would just. Oh yeah, I was walk, always into the walk right up to one, catching the snakes and lizards. And <laughs> well, I told I told Justin uh, when you you know were coming on, I was like, can he bring like a monkey or something? Because you work in exotics, <laughs> right? which we'll talk we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But I said he can bring any animal he wants as long as it's not a snake, oh, yeah. <laughs> because I don't know why I'm good with animals. I mean, I I don't have an issue with any animals besides snakes. I'm like I can't snakes and spiders. See, even spiders, I'm okay. 
The little ones, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, they move quicker though. The big ones, you can see. Yeah, that's true. The big ones, I think that's the problem. I can see them. Right. And yeah. They're, <laughs> that's they're, exactly. They're right. giant. They're giant. So okay. So after high school, you attended Middle Tennessee State University for your undergrad, mm-hmm. right? And then after that, did you? So you obviously have a biology undergrad. So animal science major. Got uh, it. Yeah, with a minor in biology. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then so after MTSU, you went to the deep south. You went, I mean, almost as far south as you can go for universities, and you went to Tuskegee. Right. So did you go, because I know you worked at Tuskegee as well, mm-hmm. you went to work, or did you go for the degree? Ultimately, well, no. So I guess I'll back up a little bit. But so MTSU, yes, I was there. I finished my undergrad. Uh, while there, I worked at a small animal practice, which was dog and cat only uh, for the most part. And then uh, once I finished my degree with the goal of going to vet school, uh, I had an opportunity, saw a job opening um, where I could work in the anatomy lab at the vet school down at Tuskegee University. So okay. that's what got my foot in the door. Um, did that for a couple years and then ongoing, I did it all through vet school as well. Ultimately, my title was a gross anatomy lab coordinator. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a gross job. Um, <laughs> it, that was back when, what was the TV show? The Dirty Jobs? Oh, Dirty you know, Jobs. Micro, yeah. I guess it was. Yeah. Everybody's like, you got to get him here. got to get him here. And I think I went as far as probably trying to get him there. And it just never happened. But um, so that was my foot in the door, like I said. And that was, it was almost like I had a couple extra years of school. So that was between undergrad leading into vet school. Um, and then I just kind of <laughs> ran with it from there. So, I mean, you, you kind of touch on it, but a gross anatomy lab coordinator. So, I mean, I... I have my undergrad in fisheries and aquaculture, and we would work a lot in labs uh, preserving samples and things like that. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of what the anatomy lab is, just preserving So ultimately, yes. It's, like I mean, the the goal is to get, ex- get as much exposure as a vet student as you can. So mm-hmm. somebody's got to prepare those specimens. So embalming and preparing for just the study aspect of it, leading into the exams, and then everything in between. So... Got it. That's that sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds like a. It's like you have a conversation. You know, when you're back home, it's like, oh, what'd you do today? Well, I am. You probably don't want to know, right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it goes from the you know the processing of the specimen, analyzing to disposal. So all the things in between and the decomposition and mm. so yeah, very in depth. Yeah, it's so. it's I'm. It sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so after you got, um, so you worked both, and I think that's really interesting because you know so you went to Tuskegee obviously you wanted to get your you know your DVM Mm -hmm. but you started working there was the was the thought always well I'll work there and then I'll also get my degree at the same time or did you start working there and you were I want to get my degree kind of the same but I mean the ultimate goal was hey that's my foot in the door you know what I mean so get there get the exposure see if it even though it's been a lifelong goal dream whatever but um, when it's when you're there doing it, working with the professors, the vet students, you're like, all right, this is what I'm signing up for, you know. Yeah. But it was that much more motivation, right? So, yeah. And it's nice because I mean, you going through vet school as well as doing this at the same time, you get almost a lot more exposure mm-hmm. than the average vet student would. Absolutely. I would imagine. Absolutely. So I mean, do you feel like you know after you graduated and you did something else, which was really really cool, but um, do you feel like you kind of had like the upper leg that more 
than more, most vet students because you had all this exposure? I would say some, yes. Uh, and I, and I did because I, and I tell people this all the time, like I've never been your, I mean, maybe when I was younger, but like your straight A student, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like school. Yeah. I got through it. And there again, I had a, a goal to uh, achieve, but I relied more on, yes, I had to make the grades, but my, I guess, building my resume, my hands on the, you know, the practical side of things. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, yes, especially even just starting my first year of vet school and anatomy is always the hardest, as a general rule, the hardest course for most vet students. Yeah. Um, luckily I had dissected multiple animals and done all these things and I worked for the director of admissions who was head of the anatomy lab. So I'm not going to say I loved it because it was, <laughs> I mean, it was torture. There was times where I was like, do I really want to do this? You know? Yeah. But looking back on it, it was worth every second. And yeah. I never really thought I would say that day to day because it was, I mean, it was a lot of, like, like I said, dirty work, but just hard work. And, uh, but it made my first year on the anatomy side, I struggled in other, you know, courses, but the anatomy side was kind of a breeze for me. So I was very thankful for that. And then it kind of led on to like certain exposure and stuff that the university gave me that 100% we, like me, my classmates, you know, I, I do feel like we had a leg up because we had a lot of hands-on things. Yeah, let, let's talk about one of the other things that you did while you were at Tuskegee is you also shadowed at Montgomery Zoo in mm -hmm. Alabama mm -hmm. where during your time there, you primarily worked in exotics. Right. So was this your gateway into exotics or did you know going into school you wanted to focus on exotics? I think at the back of my mind, I always, well, I know I pretty much when I knew I was getting in, yes, I wanted to focus on exotics. Most, I mean, just colleagues I've talked to, most universities are not going to have like a, you know, they may have an exotic elective or, yeah. you know, maybe work with a close zoo or something, but Tuskegee just wasn't one of those. Yes, they had an elective, but it just, to me, was not enough if you really wanted to pursue it. So, yes, dogs and cats, I planned on doing that, but I was, I, I entertained, hey, I want to do zoo medicine. So the more I looked into that, it, they do a lot of weeding out because yeah. one, you figure there's uh, only a handful of zoos in the in the world or the country <laughs> or whatever, so there's only so many spots. But you you were required to do like a small animal internship and some things like that. So, you know, I entertained it and I was like, well, let me just look into this. So I just ultimately kind of talked to some people in the area and got in touch with the um, his name was Dr. Cotwitz, but he was the attending vet at the uh, Montgomery Alabama Zoo. And I was doing that before I was in vet school. So ultimately, I'd say I did it five years, give or take. And it was just kind of like, hey, man, come down here when you can. And every chance I got. I mean, I was working at some other small animal clinics, you know, dog and cat and stuff in Montgomery just on my time off. And goes back to I was just trying to get as much exposure as I could. But any chance I could, I was at the zoo. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have friends who in town who are also vets and, um, you know, I knew him while we were at school as well. And, man, he, they would just run rampant doing anything they could while mm -hmm. they were in vet school because that's really, like, the name of the game. It's right. really cool that you have, like, your DVM and, you know, you get all this exposure. But, man, they don't talk about how tired vets are when right. they're going through school because <laughs> they are nonstop, I mean, working anywhere they can mm -hmm. just to get the exposure. So that's it's really cool, though, that you got an opportunity at the zoo mm -hmm. to, to do that. So when you said that, like, in school they offered some courses in exotics, what was the exotic? Like, has it always been, is it, like, mainly, like, birds? or is Yeah, it, 
like what is considered their exotics? Anything really That's small mammals, yeah. Anything outside right. of dogs and cats for the most part. Um, so yes, birds, reptiles, small mammals, rodents, rabbits, things like that. Okay. And 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 to an extent, there's you know some aquatic veterinary medicine and stuff, uh, few and far between um, as far as people that do it. But you yeah. figure even aquariums and stuff, they're going to have a vet that just tends to the marine life, you know. Yeah. So that's considered an exotic, oh, okay. you know. So, yeah. Yeah. okay. So at the zoo, um, did you have a specific exhibit that you know you would work under while you were there, or because you went and shadowed when you can? Was it kind of right. like, hey, what's the flavor of the day? Pretty much that. It was for the most part. You're just there in case something happens, and of course things are going to happen, or there could be some routine just procedures, sick animal surgeries, things like that. Um, so no, not one specific. Now I did probably spend more time in certain exhibits just because, you know, like I, I worked a lot with the giraffes and you figure they have a really long gestation. So that was kind of, we were constantly overseeing that. Yeah. Um, from what I remember, there was a draft with a pretty significant limb injury. So, uh, you know, that, that took, you know, I kind of helped round up a few vets from the university and we'd go, you know, back and forth. So that was a very neat, you know, experience for sure. But to answer your question, no, it's just kind of, hey, where are we needed today? And, you know, I'd hop on the golf cart with him and just, <laughs> hey, where are we going? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I have to ask this question, and this is the child in me coming out. Did you ever watch two drafts fight? <laughs> yeah, I, the videos. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It, it's, oh, man, it is. <laughs> For it anyone is. who hasn't seen it. Yeah. I mean, they just swing their necks at each oh, other. Yeah. It's almost hard to watch. It's <laughs> brutal. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Yeah. It is. And then you realize, like, if you ever go to the zoo and you look at a giraffe or something, and you, I mean, we went to. Um, they look so gentle. They look right. so I gentle, and then <laughs> yeah. they're like, "I could knock you in a football field yeah. away with my neck." But we went to uh, the uh, Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, we were visiting a friend in Cincinnati, and when we went, they have a platform where you can feed the giraffes and everything like that. And the platform is probably—I mean, it's probably two stories tall. And that giraffe is still looking down on you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, holy cow, these giraffes yeah. are massive. And then I saw a giraffe fight in another giraffe, and I was like, anyways. I'm done. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's completely off topic, but it's just funny. Is the Cincinnati, is that Jack Hanna Zoo or is that Columbus? I can't I remember. It's Columbus. I think you it's and Columbus. I, we went to it when we were kids. Yeah. 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 yeah I think it's Cincinnati it's Zoo is, is really cool. It's one of the, a lot of zoos are, but it's like dead middle of Cincinnati. Yeah. And so it's crazy when you get in you're like how is this a zoo because like the the hospital's right next door and everything it's like if you live in an apartment right next to it and you hear like a lion roaring at night that would terrify me right i don't know make me i make you feel a little safer <laughs> yeah unless you get a warning that well, the, yeah unless you know, that yeah. lion's out yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so um so you said you specifically work with giraffes one of the the questions that i had for you was you know you get all this exposure to exotics and then you end up going to work for a mixed animal practice after school, mm -hmm. after Tus Tuskegee and everything like that. Did you, all, did you try to find an exotic vet clinic out of school or was it kind of like, I want to take the first thing I can get? Well, I, I, and there was a lot of planning as far as, you know, how you get all your requirements and uh, preceptorships, I guess is mm -hmm. what they called them. Get all that stuff out of the way. And then, all right, now it's time to find a job. So I did a lot of calling around and then, you know, set up some interviews, things like that. I was honed in more on a mixed animal practice, meaning, which is what we're referencing, but not necessarily 
most of those mixed animal practices are going to be dog, cat, and then farm animals. So okay. most of them are not going to be exotics. You know, they may see a rabbit or a guinea pig or something here and there. So, yes, I entertained some exotic clinics, but there again, there's so few and far between. So right. you knew it could kind of be a niche. That was my question was how many exotic? There's just, I, I don't. Like anybody who in the state of Tennessee, there's probably not very not many. Not very many. And, I mean, there's a few around Nashville. Um more of those clinics are maybe bird and reptile only or bird right. specific or there's some bird and cat clinics and stuff, you know, but just very few. Kind of odd. I know, yeah. Well, there was one here close by, yeah. I can't, uh, you know, there, there was a Tuskegee grad too that uh, I think she was up around Florence or something. But. Okay. So when it comes to, um, you know, because I guess we'll lead right into it. So you left the mixed animal practice and you decided you wanted to start your own, mm-hmm. your own clinic. Being an exotic clinic, do you find... And is there specific requirements that you have to meet with, whether it's, you know, the the vet associations or the state or anything like that to be able to work on exotics? No, not necessarily. You have um, you have the credentials just right out of school, ultimately, maybe not the experience. But, you know, the the main thing is going back to exposure. But like, yes, if you wanted to specialize, which is just like human medicine, you could pick anything to specialize. So. I don't really know of any. There's some bird specialists, you know, that maybe Middle Tennessee area or surrounding. But um, now there's affiliations, you know, like the American Veterinary Medicine Association. And then there's like classifications within that and certain groups that are honed in on um, birds or reptiles or both. And, you know, so there's there's affiliations that you want to be a part of so that you can be a part of their continuing education and, you know, just the exposure and then just networking ultimately. Right. But it's not a requirement. It's just smarter. See, I it's so interesting to me because, you know, I I would think that there would be, especially when we get to, you know, talking about what you do work with, that you would have to have certifications. You would have to, you know, be licensed. Maybe it's just insurance ultimately, mm-hmm. but like, right. you know, if you're working with giant cats or Mm -hmm. reptiles or, you know, venomous snakes or something like that, you would have to have that kind of certification in order to, to work with it. To ultimately, I guess in a roundabout way, now that you say it like that there, you have a class, like you class one, class two of what you're accredited to work on. So that's something that you do go through, but they kind of incorporated that into school. And of course it's like taking some extra classes and paying more money. But yeah, like my, under my license, if I just wanted to do a dog and cat clinic, it would be a specific class. But since I'm doing a little bit of everything, uh, I think it falls under like a class two. So Got to it. answer your question, yeah. I mean, you, you know, just from a licensure and a liability standpoint, yes. Gotcha. Okay, well, uh, before we do talk about what you work on, because there's a long list. It took me a while to type <laughs> right. it out. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Hey, everyone. I wanted to let you know that Fieldmaster Podcast is brought to you by Sportsman's Pride Professional Dog Food. If you want to experience the Sportsman's Pride difference in your dog, you can visit sportsmanspride.com and click shop now or click the link in the show notes. Use code FIELDMASTER to save 10% off your first purchase. Now back to the episode. All right, we're back with Maddie Haley of Haley Veterinary Clinic in Lebanon, Tennessee. So we spent that entire break just talking about all the animals we want. (laughs) And uh, for those who missed it, uh, we decided that we're going to move with Maddie and we're to go take care of all the animals that he wants because <laughs> I know my wife would. I think it's pretty much we would be working at a zoo. That's okay. really is what it would be like. Yeah. All right. So we mentioned that you're located in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. It's right outside in Nashville. It's about what, 40? About 30 minutes or about so. About 30, 40 mm-hmm. minutes away. So is there a reason why you chose Lebanon and you didn't kind of go closer to the city? 
Well, I wanted to be further away from the city, ultimately. <laughs> right. Because even when I lived um, in Alabama during school, I was fortunate enough to live, you know, on a, a fairly large farm and uh, kind of made up my mind, look, you know, I've lived in the city my whole life. Ultimately, I wanted land and there again, room for the animals. Right. And uh, so once I honed in and found a job, then it was like, all right, I got to find something within a reasonable uh, distance from that clinic. And so I found some property in a little small town, uh, Watertown, Tennessee, um, which is about 20 minutes outside of Lebanon. But it, ultimately, I just wanted to be in kind of a more uh, rural area. Right. And so being in a rural area and focusing on exotics, number one, you should have your own reality TV show. <laughs> I mean, the show writes itself at that point. But do you have a lot of clients and you know that travel from Nashville out to Lebanon to, to come see you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, even a lot of surrounding areas – goes back to us talking about the shortage or just, you know, very few people that work on, you know, specific exotics. So we have clients come from all over. I mean, I had a Michigan client that brought a primate in. It was a small monkey. I can't remember if it was a marmoset or a capuchin. And there's very few people that are, understandably so, uh, willing to work on the primate. So I decided to sign up for that. So they they come from all over. Uh, So, yes, absolutely Nashville, but, you know, specifically more so with birds and reptiles and stuff. Um, but yeah, people come from surrounding areas all the time. So it's funny that you mentioned capuchins because when I was in high school, I don't know why, first of all, it's Florida. So who knows, right. you know, half the stuff that goes on there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I worked for a lady, I cleaned horse stalls and I showed horses for a little while and she had, uh, capuchins and man, they're so much fun. Like, how do you get them? I don't know. I have always wondered that. How Unfortunately, you, it's pro- it's too easy. Um, there's a lot of people that, well, most people don't need a monkey, to be one. honest right. with you. Right. <laughs> but I have some wonderful primate clients that do it right. But right. a lot of people just don't know what they're getting into. And, um, you know, the marmosets, they're Those manageable because the right? they're tiny. They're the yeah, tiny okay. uh, But they, can, they, they typically just like their owner. But anything much bigger than that, they're just... Yeah, they're awesome to watch. They're very mm-hmm. entertaining. They're very personable, um, especially if you give them the enrichment they need. But there's a lot of exotic sales and stuff that probably make it too easy for the wrong person to get them, or they think they can make money off of it, ultimately. Yeah, so the the lady that I worked for in Florida, her name's Dina. She, um, she rescued capuchins because mm-hmm. she used to, in Key West, they have a uh, I think it's an exotic ranch um, that the prison uh, works on. And I I don't know, long story short, she worked with uh, ostriches and, Mm -hmm. you know, capuchins, things like that. And um, so she ended up rescuing some capuchins and stuff and kept them in the backyard. And, man, they were were so much fun. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's terrifying the first time you work with one because you're like, wow, you are way stronger than I am because they're – they're strong. Mm-hmm. So um, we also touched at the the beginning of those at the beginning of the show that you know you left a mixed animal practice to start your own exotic mm-hmm. clinic. Um, do you kind of what made you kind of take that leap? What was it that you were like? You know what? I want to start out on my own journey. I want to create my own animal clinic, and I want to focus on exotics. Ultimately, it was my end goal anyways but the clinic that i was working for there again mixed animal meaning more so farm animal than your dog and cat but when i came on that they did see some small um, rodents and mammals and things here and there but 
Um, ultimately, I was like, hey, let me work on some exotics here. And we didn't advertise it a lot, but people, the word finally, you know, got out. So I was doing a lot of it, but we weren't really set up for it. It was just because it was a walk-in clinic only, and those things just take way more time. And um, so I kind of learned what I could do, what I wanted to do, and just ultimately how to make it make more sense, um, which that was kind of the plan when I made the transition. Right. So let, let's mention what you do work on. And this is going to kind of be your your PSA for anyone in the, the area. So Tennessee area. Tennessee area. <laughs> Dogs, cats, small mammals, primates, reptiles, avians, and barn animals. Mm-hmm. No lions, no tigers. We do have some large cats that come in, but the, ultimately the largest cats that I see there um, are the servals, the African servals and bobcats. And then we see... I think I have a couple caracals that have come in, which are kind of the size of a bobcat. Yeah. So any lynxes. Lynx, I don't think lynxes. I've seen any lynx there. Lynx. I don't, lynx. <laughs> I don't know. He would know. I wouldn't. Lynxes. No, lynxes. I think it would just be lynx. So but, I joke. You know, I I talked about it on the break that I worked at the the pyramid, but we had a guy who owned a bobcat, and mm-hmm. he would bring the bobcat into Bass Pro, and it it was so funny because it was like every Tuesday or something like that. I was like, oh, it's Bobcat Day. <laughs> and so we would all kind of like just wait for the Bobcat to come in because it was fun. Just seems like just- that the cats that could potentially eat you doesn't need to be a pet. Yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, like they're still <laughs> so I mean, cute. Yeah. From afar. <laughs> yeah. Until you have to work on them. And yeah. yeah. The owners come in and like, I can't touch them. I'm like, well, how do you think I'm going to reach in the cage and touch it? If they, they don't even like you. I've run into that a handful of times. So... You know, one of the things that I see a lot more, especially on, you know, obviously social media, it brings everything to us. We would never see this, in you know, even 100 years ago, but servals. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people owning servals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it obviously it's geared towards, you know, my feed and everything like that. Are servals, A, they're a larger cat, but I feel like they don't necessarily, let me preface this by saying, I don't think a lot of big cats should be, house pets right. but are servals becoming more and more common for household like pets domesticated. they yeah, are like people are domesticating them and, and i've got some clients that have some fairly tame ones now it doesn't mean they're gonna walk in the clinic and appreciate us i mean they just yeah. typically don't <laughs> but um i've been in their homes and seen how they interact with them but i've also gone in similar clients homes that they're you know whether they're breeding them or you know and that takes inspections too so like you know they'll call me in to do a you know walk through for the state and things like that but um some that are just still very very wild and you're not going to go in the enclosure with them yeah so that that kind of was leading to my next question was you know let's say i owned a serval how is it that you know people are able to own them when they're such a wild cat. I mean, and you kind of touched on it, I guess. So does a a vet has to go out and certify like, Hey, this is safe. If a client's doing it right, reproducing them, selling them, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it may be. And it's even hard for me to keep up with which species require permits because some don't and it doesn't make sense. And then others you would think wouldn't do. So, um, but yes, most of those facilities require at least an annual walkthrough and, you know, there's paperwork and documentation that, that I have to fill out. Like in this scenario, what's the you know plan for an emergency or routine preventative medicine and stuff. So there are things that the state, you know, hones in on and, and wants them to do correctly. And they have to have a specific license, right? Mm-hmm. In order to own them. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, you know, working in an exotic clinic, I mean, you know, I'm used to 
small vet clinic. You know, it's got four four rooms where you can right. see a dog, cat, you know, and they're divided so they don't have to see mm-hmm. each other. But with an exotic clinic, I mean, I feel like you have to have rooms for all different scenarios. And I feel like logistically, you know, there's so much that can change day to day. Right. So how do you operate a exotic clinic? Ultimately, the, the building that uh, that I started the clinic in was it, it was an older building, so I had to kind of get creative with it, mm-hmm. um, just the layout and make it flow. But we did from day one do two separate lobbies. So we kind of have well, we have our dog lobby, and then we have what we call our cat and exotic lobby. Ultimately, majority of cats are in our cage, so and they're going to be more quiet. They're not you know barking dogs, so we kind of put our exotics over there. Um, but so that's just kind of the waiting, uh, area, the exam rooms, they're just interchangeable. We just roll through them. But when it comes to procedures like the barn animals and stuff, so I don't do any horses and cows, but, um, goats, pigs, poultry, you know, um, things like that. I have a separate little barn behind the clinic. So I just keep all of that. I pretty much tell everybody like anything that smells or has mites stays out there in that barn, you know, so (laughs) keep them out of the clinic. But, um, so yeah, there's ways that we separate everything and I'll do surgeries that, you know, out in the barn on the livestock stuff to, you know, keep it from, you know, contaminating the the indoor surgery room. Yeah. Because, you know, we, um, you, well, you said you don't do horses or anything like that, but you know, I've, my parents have cows and a horse and everything like that. And, you know, they've had to get surgery before. And uh, so in your barn, you don't have like a, I, did you say you have a surgery suite mm-hmm. in your barn? Mm-hmm. So I've seen the ones for, you know, large oh, horses and things massive. like that. It is huge. Yeah. And so I guess what's nice is, you know, with a, a smaller barn working on smaller animals, I'm sure mm-hmm. it keeps your costs mm-hmm. way less absolutely. because you don't have to run all And lower risk of injury to staff and, and the animals too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So being so close to, to Nashville, you know, you've got the Nashville Zoo right there. Mm-hmm. Do you get to work with Nashville Zoo at all? No, I mean, we can collaborate on, well, usually it's us reaching out to them if we have, you know, a question. And that's, it's kind of hard to get in touch with those people uh, because they have so much to do. And, yeah. you know, and they have internship opportunities and things like that. So long story short, no, not as much as it, you would like. And um, But they're for the most part, they're they're an available resource if I, if I have questions. And, and doing the primates, we have some... Uh, my office manager even got in touch with, I can't remember, somebody in South Africa that we can, you know, bounce oh, okay. questions off oh, of, cool. for, you know, because they're dealing with these primates every single day. So, right. um, so no, not as much as I'd like. But I am able to do, you know, some of the little private zoos, I guess you would call them, you know, um, you may, Lucky Lad Farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they've, they're slowly, they've hired a zookeeper and slowly adding to their collection. So, I've been doing their stuff, which is ultimately raccoons and possums. And, you know, I think they might have a fox or they're getting, but stuff like along those lines. So I'm still able to do zoo type medicine, um, but, you know, it just kind of varies. So do you work with any of those like, uh, like the wildlife rescue things? Uh, Yeah, to an extent. They, uh, and that's something I did at the previous clinic and now. Um, because a lot of times people will just find an injured wild right. animal and stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I've done a lot of that over the years and still do. And ultimately we'll stabilize them, treat them accordingly, and then transport and then them transport. to those type places. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's usually vo- volunteers that are, you know, run them back and forth. That's cool. So, um, you obviously work with a ton of different animals. Mm-hmm. You've seen more than, you know, we could imagine, but out of all the animals that you get to work with, which one of them has been your favorite or do you like to 
uh, I mean, I know more you enjoyable. See, yeah, right? more enjoyable, you know, or what's your, your coolest You know, and I get I that question a lot, and I always say, like, how do I answer that? Because I think the way my mind works is that's probably what breaks up the monotony is that I'm able to work with so many different ones. Yeah. So I don't know that I have the specific – I mean, I love doing all the reptiles, and uh, during the break we were talking about, like, you know, not a lot of people have them, but, like, the caiman, mm-hmm. uh, everybody calls them alligator, I guess technically crocodilian, but um, stuff like that, just the, the stuff that – most clinics are not able to see or more unique animals. yeah just more unique animals um birds i love working on birds but it can be really stressful because they're any exotic you know it's just they're very fragile at times you know they're the reptiles are much more hardy uh creatures for sure yeah because well they can live in such harsh mm-hmm. environments and and mm-hmm. things like that so um you know out of all the animals that you do get to work with you know is there one species or one group of animals that you know has more of like a personality that sometimes can be harder to treat or you know probably the primates on. honestly yeah. just because they're so human like so it affects you different too when they're that sick because they are so human like you know what i mean it's like they're yeah. processing the mental capacity is there um it's like they know when to you know ask for help in a in a weird way you know what i mean so probably personality wise would be the primates yeah is there is there one um, kind of, you know, set of animals where I don't know why I just keep imagining like someone pulls up with a tiger or something in the, <laughs> right. in the truck bed, you know, but like, is there something uh, no. where, you know, let's say you've got, uh, something coming in that you have to treat where you kind of have to like shut down the rest of the clinic so you can treat one animal? Because I'd imagine if you're working on like reptiles, right. You know, that's to me when you would have to do something like that. Just depends. I guess it, most of those reptiles are not that i mean yeah you can get some big snakes and stuff like that anything that's really really you know out of character for a normal day which we don't really ever have normal days because i mean we have appointments but you yeah. just never know what's going to happen so at any given time you're going to have a variety of species just you, you know i'm in one room in the right. next and you know circle back staff's doing this that and the other so i mean if you had like a larger cat or something you really had to be prepared for i did have a client come in with probably a 30 pound give or take you know macaque and just walked in like it was normal had it in a cage and just wanted me to drop what i was doing to work on it. and i'm like that thing could hurt me really easily what is a macaque? <laughs> just a, a large primate you know oh, big wow. monkey and they're really there's a there's several different types of macaques but they're one of the more is that the ones that they're usually like black. You see them in like diapers, and they kind of just like swing through. Those are usually, you're probably thinking of like chimpanzees, but people no, put, not the chimps. Yeah, no, I know what those look like. Yeah. These are like they're like real fuzzy looking. <sighs> There's so many different ones, but maybe, maybe you're. I don't know. They, people put diapers on all of. Them. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They do, but I, I don't know. Maybe they. There's a variety of them, and and they're just a powerful pro, uh, primate, and. Um, so stuff like that, you really have to prepare for. I did have a serval. I mentioned it earlier that was one of the larger that I've seen. And there again, the owner couldn't touch it. And, but wanted me just to like, didn't even really want me to sedate it. Was very reluctant for me to sedate it. And I'm like, I can't do anything to this animal. It's yeah. physically trying to kill me. And, uh, <laughs> and she came in on a Saturday, a half day with no appointment and just kind of walked in. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? You're like, all right, let me put on my full body armor. Hey, long story now. short, I ended up working on that. We got it asleep. I did everything I needed to do. And then the owner declined everything. <laughs> so I put everybody at risk, drew blood, did all this stuff. And now we'll just see how it does. Okay. Well, then how about you see what it does yeah, back home? Exactly. <laughs> so um, so is there any, you know, anything that the the general public would be surprised to know? Because we don't. 
we don't get to right. you know work in exotics every day. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and the majority of people we know have dogs and cats. Yeah, yeah the majority. I mean, a snake here and there. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're. I mean, I think the most. It, <laughs> I only have one story where my buddy bought a snake and he couldn't find it for like three hours, and he just had a baby. And so, I mean, that's like the closest thing I got to working with exotics. I mean, besides you know what I used to do, but is there something that like the general pup? population would be surprised to know when it comes with working with exotics well i mean one is it's almost like no two cases are going to be the same even if it's the same species because you don't know how that one's going to react to just human interaction or trying to administer an injection or whatever it may be mm-hmm. so you kind of just have to learn as you go or tweak things as you go uh, and always be pre- prepared for the worst you know when when you're dealing with those types of animals um, like pigs, pot belly pigs. You know, I work on a lot of them, and yeah. everybody thinks you're hurting them every time they're screaming and shrilling. I mean, you can look at them, and they're going to do that. You know, so it's like <laughs> those, and they're yeah. big, powerful animals. They're solid, well, fat mm-hmm. too, but muscle. You know, yeah. so and a lot of people don't work on those either. So more so in that barn, I was designing it for the pigs. I mean, I work on a lot of stuff in there, but you got to, you know, work smarter, not harder or whatever. So it's, you know, kind of funneling them to an area where I can get my hands on them, but you don't want to have to wrestle with them unnecessarily. So I had to kind of design like a chamber that I could, you know, ultimately run them through a chute system so that then I can hook up anesthetic gas and, you know, all those things. And that was kind of just talking to a couple of friends and stuff like, we could try this, you know, and it's worked great, you know. so. Just being prepared for, you know, I mean, dogs and cats, of course, are challenging enough, and we do tons of that, but the exotics do. And, and monkeys, I mean, you got to get your hand on those monkeys, and they'll, the owners will just hand them to you, and I'm like, they're going to bite me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, you know, you've always got to be prepared, whether it be towels and gloves, and, and it's like anything. You do it enough, like, you learn how to, you, it's just a matter of moving quick and restraining them. Of course, they're going to act like you're hurting them too, but right. there's safe ways to do it. So. Yeah. So out of all the animals that you see, would you say that it's kind of like 50-50 split between, you know, common animals, dogs, cats, and 50% split for, like, exotics? You know, uh, and it's been several months since we pulled those numbers, but at one point it was uh, it was almost like a 60-40 more so being exotics. Um, wow. Yeah. So those numbers have probably changed simply because we're growing, and I've only had it open a, so a couple of years, so we're getting more and more clients. So it's kind of evening out, but yeah. – um, I don't know those exact numbers, but it was like that as of like six months ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And you've been in that location, what, three years? A little over two years. A little over yep. two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two years. So any plans for expansion or anything like that? I've got some things in mind, but, you know, not, won't happen anytime soon. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So you're opening up your own zoo is what we've heard, <laughs> and we're going to come work for you. <laughs> Fair <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> All right, well, Matt, you heard it first. You heard it first. I (laughs) mean, we're leaving. We're going to to work on the zoo. It's like, uh, what's that movie with Matt Damon? I think it is. We bought a zoo. Yeah, that's it. Hey, I'll tell you one off-the-wall random story that this happened several years ago, but end of the day, random call, um, something about an ostrich with with a laceration. So I'm like... Ooh, I hadn't worked on an ostrich before. You know, here we go. <laughs> this is different. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was about an hour drive to get there. And, the, you know, everybody just thinks it goes back to like credentials and stuff. Just because I work on lots and lots of exotics, there's a few things I'll turn down. I still got to look stuff up, man. I don't, yeah. I don't have all this in my back pocket, you know? Right. So, you know, we're driving and heading, we have an hour commute and I'm like, look up this drug, look up this drug, you know, how are we going to get this thing to sleep? So ultimately we've been told it had a big laceration. You figure, I think this thing was like 12 foot tall or something. I yeah, mean, they're massive. Really tall. And it was up in its team. It might've been 20 something years old. 
and they just had it out there on their farm and they they were like you know doc i don't understand we're, we're feeding it and all the food just keeps falling out of its neck and i'm like all right, so and they still don't know what happened, you know. So we get there, and sure enough, it's just Chipper running around eating, but it's all just coming right back out. Wow. So it had gotten hung in a fence or some kind of predator. I really don't know what happened ultimately, yeah. but um, and you can't just walk up and sedate the thing. Well, I through the fence did give it an injection while they were feeding it, but it just wasn't enough, and it's a massive, massive animal. Well, it's like you know, we working at the large animal clinic, we, we had a dart gun with a scope and everything, a tranquilizer gun. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not a hunter. I don't, you know, the, so they're the kind of the farm hand. He's like, you know, Doc, are you a good shot? No, I practiced in the tree before I got here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he, uh, I, once. yeah, and uh, he was pretty humble. And he was like, man, I was a sniper in the military and I just handed him the gun. I'm like, all right, <laughs> you're like, you take me. Yeah, why are you asking me? <laughs> so sure enough, that's the approach we took. And I had, it was a probably a foot long laceration. We had to sew up the esophagus, then the skin and wow. everything. And, Thing went on to do great, you know. I even talked yeah. to him a couple years later, uh, from what I remember, and it was still good. So you just literally never know, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah I'll do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Holy cow! Yeah. Your house calls are a little bit different. <laughs> Mine are like, hey, can you do the dishes when you get home? Not like, hey, so <laughs> right. an ostrich. Right. Right. So why don't you go ahead and tell us? I mean, you've got probably how many staff members do you have? Uh, right at fifteen. Right at fifteen. Mm-hmm. Do you, Do you have another vet? I do. Well. I have a, a, an associate vet. She is uh, fairly fresh out of school. She'd been with me eight or nine months. Uh, Dr. Cruz is her name. Um, and she's got pretty strong fascination with the smaller mammals and birds and things. So those are hard to find, you know, yeah. the, the exotic vets. Yeah. So that, that, that's been a plus for sure. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, like, because we, we have a vet friend here in town and they're interviewing for vets right now because their clinic is growing rapidly. I mean, with the growth of our town, they have to. And, you know, one of the things that they look for is like, what do you specialize in? So when you were interviewing, I mean, do you do, you do like a working interview? Mm-hmm. Do you kind of like you know, how do you go about that selection? So the downside, and I don't think anybody ever really saw it coming, but it, and it, the way it's explained to me, it's not necessarily that there is a shortage of vets because they're out there. I mean, mm-hmm. the schools are producing them, uh, but they're coming out and taking corporate jobs or corporates are buying up small private practices. So they're sure. hard to find or they're not interested. It, it, they're scared off by the exotic side of things. Yeah. Um, scared might not be the word, but the, just the interest is not there or they're uncertain. So that was very difficult, and so I didn't really have a lot of interest, you know, right off the bat. Yeah. Um, but yes, that she she like I said was right out of school, and exotics were one of her main interests, and she kind of had a five year plan. She's from Indiana, so she wanted to get as much exposure as she could. So that that's kind of how we lucked into that. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned kind of like corporations uh, buying out clinics or things like that. You know, a lot of companies. You don't realize, but there's like vets on staff for mm-hmm. for some companies, like Alabama Power, for right. example, has veterinarians on staff mm-hmm. because they also have to do research for streams and everything like that, and they can go and they can treat and oh. you know things like that if they. So Makes it's sense. it's really interesting. Right. I mean, you don't think about that. I, I I would have never thought that either if I didn't have you know experience with there's certain things yeah i mean there's like well social media you know keeps you up with people you know up to date with people and i've seen some colleagues and stuff that maybe have gone to uh, tuskegee and oh what are they doing kind of reading their bio and stuff and some of the human facilities you know hospitals and stuff that have vets on staff for i don't know how much of it research purposes or whatever it may be but exactly i mean there's definitely things just off the wall that you you don't realize that vets have opportunity to go do 
Yeah. So being a vet, there's there's a question that I wanted to ask you. You know, obviously Sportsman's Pride, we're a dog food, you know, company and we focus a lot on like nutrition and things like that. What is your take on I see it way more on social media now. I don't know that I've I heard of it probably I mean since honestly I think like TikTok or something, you know, came out where there's just so much information available to you, but the the take on like the all raw mm-hmm. diets that people are giving their cats, their dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen crazy things like tonight I'm giving my dog like chicken liver with a side of skirt steak and mashing up, you know, X, Y, Z. So like what is what is your perception on like the raw diets and stuff like that? Personally, and I would say majority of vets would I'd say in a roundabout way agree, but not a fan. Ultimately, it's not necessarily that. It doesn't make sense in a roundabout way, but yeah. it's the preparation or the storage. And, and I have seen a documented case or two of a litter of puppies or at least a couple puppies out of the litter mm-hmm. that did test positive for salmonella and passed away. And so just the risk, you know, to me is not worth it. I yeah. personally, and I get questions about nutrition all the time, naturally, uh, which a lot of times it's hard to answer because I tell people all the time, you can feed the best, most expensive dog food on the market and your dog could still have an issue for whatever reason whether it be allergy gastrointestinal so or they want to know what they can do to prepare a homemade diet and i'm always just a believer i'm like look trust the nutritionist you know you're not in my opinion unless you're just really really intelligent and do your research (laughs) going to be able to mimic everything that's in the you know the diets that are formulated for specific reasons so yeah i'm not the raw diets the um what do they call it? The semi-raw or whatever? Yeah, I'm just, I'm not a big believer in those. Yeah, so, I mean, we obviously talk about it a lot, um, you know, on our team and stuff like that. But what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, pet food is actually in a in a lot of ways way more regulated than human food is. Mm-hmm. So there's so many standards that we have to abide by. There's so much that we have to put on the packaging. I mean, Justin designs yeah. our packaging here on the team, and so... I mean, there's so many rules and things that we have to put in place where, you know, we make sure that your pet's getting what is mm-hmm. we say right. is on the bag. It's a guaranteed analysis. Like, oh, we yeah. have to have that or, you know, we can, you know. Get in a lot of trouble. Get in a lot mm-hmm. of trouble for, for not having it. And so, you know, I've never understood that the the raw diet because people are like, well, my dog doesn't get this. And, you know, I want to make sure they get it out mm-hmm. of this, like, salmon skin right. or something like that. I'm like, meanwhile... We make sure our food has, you know, glucosamine. It's got omega three and six, and I mean, so there's a ton of stuff in it. So I just wanted to get your your take on that because it, it is really interesting to me, you know, being in this industry and things like that. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but you know, I understand people are like, well, it's their it's their primal yeah. way of eating they and things like that. And I'm like, okay, but if you think about it, they didn't have. Skirt steak, a chicken liver, and everything like every day, either yeah. you know. All right, so you you've seen ton of animals, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've got stories to tell. Yeah, there. Sometimes it's hard to remember all of them, but there's <laughs> definitely there's definitely stories out there. You're like after the concussion from the you know one of the animals or something. Yeah. It's, it's hard to to talk That's about. That's right. But so go ahead and give us like what is your I mean your top story that like. One that I, I probably will never forget, and it took me a minute to, oh, yeah, why don't I tell him this one? So this <laughs> this was at my the previous clinic, and a buddy of mine who I'm still good friends with, Dr. Uh, Jordan Pack, he, he doesn't see any exotics at all. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty much a large animal vet, sees the small animals too, but um, it was the end of the day, and some 
client came pushing a, a capuchin monkey in in a stroller. And um, in a stroller, in a stroller, this is a regular Tuesday. I mean, yeah, ten, I mean, 10 minutes before we close, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a regular Tuesday, yeah. And it was like pretty in depth. I don't remember what we had to do, but it was kind of like, all right, this can't wait till tomorrow. Well, this yeah. monkey was not tame at all, and the owner was terrified of it. And she in tears, crying, like, we gotta wait till the da- his daddy gets here, and all this. And I'm like, well, where's daddy? You know, like, how far away is he, right? <laughs> where's daddy? Yeah. And, um, and it was, oh, he can be here in an hour, ma'am. We, you know, the whole staff's here. You know, we, we gotta move a little bit quicker. And I, I really don't remember what we had to do, but ultimately I had to sedate the monkey. Yeah. Easier said than done. And this is a good size capuchin. I mean, I, I don't know, 20 pounds. We'll just say 20 pounds, so I'm mm-hmm. not exaggerating, but he had some height on him, too. And um, he was in the stroller, and she, yeah, yeah. And she decides to just unzip the stroller, and you know the ones that are enclosed. You oh, see people yeah, pushing yeah. dogs, yeah. So yep. she just unzip, and out comes that monkey, and he was not happy. <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna say it was a she because I remember all the pink. It was a lot of pink stroller, pink yeah. this, that, and the other. And I mean, the owner literally runs out of the room crying and leaves me in the room with the monkey. So I'm like, <laughs> all right. Your and problem. Keep in mind <laughs> You're that, the vet. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind that I was already prepared to like kind of use some towels, reach in there, sedate. I had already had it all drawn up in the uh-huh. syringe, laying on the counter. She just unzipped the monkey it. comes out of the stroller. On the exam, you know, first thing they're gonna do is up, you know, yeah. their table, right. cabinet, everyone just like over top of my head, screaming, yelling. <laughs> I mean, not like interested in me, like very angry. So I'm kind of like, all right, I probably should leave the room. You know, like, how can I leave the room without the monkey getting out and doing more damage? Yeah. So, I mean, stuff's flying, jars are falling out. I mean, everything. So <laughs> Tongue depressors. Yeah. Tongue balls depressors. Right. No, everywhere. Everywhere. You walk back in and he's holding two tongue depressors like, <laughs> yeah. let's go to war. Oh, like, sharpened them. <laughs> oh, it's worse than that. Um, so the owner, no joke, is bawling, crying. So, like, there's a front door and then there's a door that goes to the back of the clinic. So she's on the other side, like, trying to baby talk the monkey. It's not working. <laughs> And so, do you remember the monkey's name? Oh, I wish I did. This is probably five years ago. Probably and like princess or something. Yeah, princess. <laughs> so I'm I'm standing outside one door, and like, so Doctor Pack goes back down. I'm like, Doctor Pack, what do we do? He's like, Man, you're the monkey doctor. I don't know. <laughs> so literally, we look down. So we're looking under the door. The monkey's laying down, looking back at us. Like, I mean, clear as day. There's video out there somewhere. It just keeps looking and looking, and I'm like, Oh man, it sees us. What are we gonna do? You know. <laughs> So finally, I'm like, get the fishnet. That's all I know to do, right? Yeah. So I open the door with the fishnet. I swear to y'all, this monkey is sitting on the exam table with my syringe full of sedation, holding it <laughs> and looking at me. And I was like... It's like Planet of the Apes. Yeah. yeah I'm is. like, I just shut the door back. I was like, y'all, we got a problem. I was like, Dr. Pack, you're going in with he's me. He's involved and he's got a weapon yeah. <laughs> So luckily, we went in with the net and I think a towel. It ended up being uneventful after that. He decided I was slowly putting the syringe down, please. Just you're like this. negotiating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally, I'm like, that. then I start talking baby talk. I put it down. Come yeah, on. Here we come go. Come on, right. princess. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, I think we got the net on there. And and from there, I really don't remember what we did. But we, I was able to safely sedate the monkey, and he did not sedate me. But, um, yeah, that was one that will probably stick with me forever. And it goes back to a lot of clients who are really scared of their exotic animals and think that, 
we just know what to do. And I mean, we know what to do, but we got to do it safely. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Do something. <laughs> trying, right? You know. At that point, you just go like rent a net gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like let's just hope it. Hits. They're like, no, we're lights off, going home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Somebody else. Yeah. Moving. <laughs> you know, just put the for sale yeah. sign on the door. Just leave the monkey. With monkey. I, I've had when COVID was a big thing. Like right, I was still over there, and they they started doing the curbside, and there again, we weren't set up really for some of these exotics, in my opinion. So client pulled up and uh she had uh i think it was a like a green monkey or a vervet and like so a she green monkey? yeah they vervets and green monkeys kind of the same thing but they uh <laughs> no I go, we we understand that what is a green monkey <laughs> <laughs> it's got a green tint to yeah. it but vervet's more of a it's common like name it's green got a long tail and, and everything like, yeah <laughs> And we and Just they're fairly on St. Patrick's Day yeah. or something. They're fairly <laughs> large too, and um, it was just one of those things. They think it's routine to just pull up, you yeah. know. And I go out there, super nice lady, and she had the monkey on a leash, thank God, <laughs> and it was just running across the top of her car and like sliding down the windshield. And I'm just standing there watching this thing. I'm like, and it, and it wanted to get to me. It was showing its teeth and everything, yeah. and it ends up like nope. just. Run and leap, slides down and like grabs the side mirror and just lunges for me. I was like, tighten up that leash, you know, tighten up that leash. It's like uh, a retractable yeah. leash, like pulling it back. Come here. Oh, hey, that's my biggest pet peeve. I'm not a retractable leash fan. My staff can tell you all about that. I have a stop sign out front that says stop, no retractable leashes allowed. And everybody walks right by it. Um, like, but yeah, care. monkey, the monkey stories could probably go on forever because they honestly they are a lot of fun to work on, but. They can do some damage. That, they really can. Yeah. You know, that reminded me. I told you the the lady that I worked for in high school had uh, capuchins and stuff. And she had the, the one of them, I think her name was Harley or something like that, had no teeth. Mm-hmm. And so it was so much fun going to get her because, like, she had the biggest attitude. But every time she would go to bite you, it was just gums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's another thing, too, that what people will do. And they'll ask you all the time. And it's very unethical. But, like, they'll, oh, couldn't you remove their canine teeth? And it's like you decided to get a monkey. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And it can cause a lot of problems, yeah. but unfortunately, there's some vets out there that do it, but very, very frowned upon. But yeah, they um, they can do some damage with those things for sure. Man, all I can pick... You need to make a t-shirt that it's just like a monkey holding <laughs> a wrench in a tongue yeah. Yeah. We uh, And then we... Uh, fortunately, we were able to recently work with um, some spider monkeys, and those have, I've kind of grown to get a little bit more fond of them because yeah. they're very personable... They just seem to be a little more gentle, and uh, we have a client. They're he's, little too, right? Yeah, yeah they're well, small. They can get a little bit bigger. They're they're lanky. They're real lanky, Maybe and they can you know kind of taller. Thinking. Yeah, yeah. But um, we've got a client. He's the the monkeys are real famous on TikTok and everything. So you oh, know, we got really? to do some work with him and stuff. So that was neat. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Maybe it could be. That's there's some there's some famous ones on social media for sure. I'm telling you that in teacup pigs. <laughs> that dart that never stay that small. They turn into 150, 200 pounds, and what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's not it's a big. mini pig. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. Well, Maddie Haley, thank you so much for joining us yep. today on the Fieldmaster Podcast. We appreciate it. I I have a tear in my eye. I mean, laughing <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just picturing a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. If you are in the Nashville, Lebanon area, go see Haley Veterinary Practice in Lebanon. You know, be sure to check them out. Give them your business and stuff. And uh, once again, thank you guys for listening to the Fieldmaster podcast. If you guys are listening to this on 
Spotify or Apple, we do have a video version. So you can go check that out on YouTube. Just look up Sportsman's Pride. And then if you're listening to this on YouTube, we have audio as well. If you're in the car or something like that, you know, you're at the office and you're trying to fight off a monkey with a syringe. That's right. You know, you can have a soundtrack for it. Just be sure to check us or out. Any type on the Cayman. Or, or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or you can uh, check us out on Apple or Spotify and be sure to follow us on Instagram as well, and Facebook, Sportsman's underscore pride. Thanks, guys. We'll see you in the next episode.